1: This is a HeadGum Podcast.
0: I have to say what I feel. Miami has so much appeal. A great place to get a seafood meal. My.
1: 2016.
0: Welcome to Out on the Lanai, the only Golden Girls podcast you will ever need to listen to. I am H. Allen Scott. And
1: I am Carrie Doherty. And
0: this is a podcast where we usually, usually. have a friend over to watch an episode of the po- or of the uh, Golden Girls and then we talk about You're it. You're so nervous right I am. now. I am. I guess I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we, this is a special episode. We have a very special guest with us today, a good friend of mine who did something... Very awesome that we are going to talk about this entire episode.
1: Yeah, and I think on behalf of all Golden Girls fans, we should say thank you uh, to our special guest for basically taking all of the history of the Golden Girls and packaging it in a beautiful, a gorgeous, gorgeous book. Which, I mean, if you guys can hear it, just...
0: Well, that sounds good, right? I like the yeah, yeah. It is. I feel it.
1: I mean, it's it's like the Golden Girls Bible. It's, yeah, it's beautiful.
0: So let me intro our guest because um, I have had dinner with him before <laughs> oh, <laughs> many many true. different many different way to occasions. make me feel jealous. Well, I mean, I'm just saying we're we're personal friends. We'll go out and have that dinner. Yeah, thank you. On, yeah. you thank don't Thank you. I mean, you but you John. should invite me. Um, <laughs> we'll see. No, uh, guys, this this the Jim Colucci is the our guest today, and Jim wrote. Probably, no, not probably, the ultimate guide to the Golden Girls. I mean, to both of them. The book that you guys know, probably many of you mm-hmm. true Golden Girls fans know, the Q Guide to the Golden Girls, stuff you didn't even know, even didn't know you wanted to know about Dorothy Rose, Blanche and Sophia, and the beloved sitcom. He wrote that first book, and now there is a new book out called Golden Girls Forever, an an unauthorized look behind the Lanai ah. Jim, welcome Thank you Thank, thank you for you. having me Although I want to come over And watch an episode With you guys Oh yeah, well, that's, yeah. That all, But we also felt like That was like Doing That was a disservice To the greatness That you did oh, With this wow, book Like you are above bu- You are above no offense to all our past guests, you are above <laughs> just watching an episode. Yeah, we with just us. sort of
1: realized we had so many things that we wanted to talk to you about that if we did watch an episode with you, we'd probably spend a minute. We'd be like, "Oh, Sophia made a really funny joke. She called me just like great. Let's talk about the book." And then we wouldn't even. It
0: would say. be hard because we want to yeah. talk about all 180 episodes. Exactly. Yes. And we also want to give a shout out to your awesome husband, who is a very dear friend of mine, Frank Decaro, who is on tour right now with Lisa Lampanelli. Yes. Right. Yeah. 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 So I'm Frank, doing. Frank was originally on the Daily Show, and he hosted the Frank DiCaro Show for years, and He's also very much a part of this book oh, yeah. as well. So Frank will be a future guest, and he will just watch an episode. Sorry, Frank. Sorry, Frankie. Yeah. <laughs> but, so thank you so much for Thank being you for here having today. me. This is so fun to talk about this. Yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. So um, before we get into it, let's talk about what drew you into the Golden Girls. Like, what was, what was that first, do you remember the first time you discovered the Golden Girls? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm old. So,
2: (laughs) I remember hearing, you know, and I was always one of those geeky kids who would read the, not only TV Guide magazine, but the TV Guide that came with the Sunday newspaper, and I would plan what I was going to watch for the week, and I I would know... I
0: was exactly like that.
2: I I know. I know a lot of kids who were like that, and a lot of grown-ups who who were those kids. And uh, so, I was always keeping track of not only what I was going to watch that week, but shows that were in development. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, because back before the internet, in the 80s, when this show was developed, you really had to... It was hard to find news of shows yeah. that were only pilots. They weren't there was no deadline Hollywood. Exactly. There was no internet. Yeah. So you would glean what you could here and there. But Golden Girls was a show because of this cast particularly that had a huge buzz even as a pilot. Yeah. Wow. And so back in the spring of nineteen eighty five, I was fifteen. Yeah. And I heard like, Oh, there's this show with Betty White and with B. Arthur and I love them both. And yeah. So I really was excited for it. I went away over the summer to a summer program and I remember like Thinking, like counting down the days to the fall premiere when I got back from, from the summer program. <laughs> I love it. And so, you know,
0: I remember when September 14th, 1985, I was ready. Yeah. For the oh, wow. show. So, while, set up that night. What What was that night, September 14th, 1985, like for you? Like, what What did you do? What did you eat before this episode came on? <laughs> you know, I don't remember it that specifically. Really? But, I would.
2: <laughs> but the thing is that. Uh, Saturday night was an unusual night even then Mm -hmm. for a sitcom and for good stuff on TV it was hard over the weekend remember this is the time before there were so many cable channels there was some cable but not that much certainly not like there is today so I, as a kid, I didn't like sports, still don't. Yeah. So weekends were like a desert for television for me. Yeah. You know, and the irony would be like, you have off of school, maybe you have a little time to watch television, and I'd be flipping through the channels on a weekend be like, oh, God, it's golf or football. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So I was just excited that there was something on Saturday night. I was only 15. I wasn't going out on Saturday night. Yeah. yeah. That was going to be good. And so I, I tuned in just like, oh, my God, a Saturday night sitcom that has buzz. and
0: I'm So yeah. I just remember being excited to watch something good. Mm-hmm. Do you remember NBC? sort of rollout of the show in terms of, like, how did they they advertise the show that night for people to tune in to this show that had all this buzz? Like, was there a lead-in that was, like, a special... Anything? No, because they were the 8 o'clock show, so there was yeah. no lead-in.
2: That was the beginning of the prime time. But uh, a- NBC had really just started coming out of the ratings basement. Yeah. If you remember, NBC in the early 80s was a joke. Yeah. And when Cheers debuted in, on NBC in 1982, at mid-season, it was the lowest-rated show on prime time TV. Yeah. So that's how no. bad they were. Where in the was the Cosby show? Cosby came in 84. Okay. So that's how bad... NBC was at launching comedies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, the Cosby show came and turned NBC's fortunes around. However, this was only the very next season. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this was NBC saying, okay, now we have to try to launch another co- hit comedy. Yeah. Yeah. So they do. They knew they had the buzz of these women and they knew the show had buzz. Yeah. Um, but when they launched it, it wasn't a sure thing
0: because they weren't, you know, they were just coming awesome. out of the basement. Wow. I mean, you, it would be hard to sort of bank on just the Cosby show because that even like was irregular in terms of NBC's lineup or any lineup on a sitcom, because it's mainly white actors on a primarily white cast show, and this is the power of Bill Cosby, primarily. Right. So, like, you so don't a even Cosby know if could that's going to an carry over. Exactly, right. Yeah. Right. yeah. That's really interesting. So, like, what was your reaction after you saw it? Like, what, were you excited? Were you... Definitely. How I mean, did you, like, prepare, wait that full week for the next episode?
2: You know, back then, that's the only choice you had. Yeah. There was yeah. no streaming. There was no anything. So, you just had to live your life. But, uh... You know, now looking back, and it's hard to to discern how much of this is hindsight and how much I knew at the time. Now looking back, those first couple episodes were a little bit rough, Mm -hmm. as any sitcom is. Mm -hmm. Sitcoms take, you know, at least half a season to find their legs and find the voice of each character and really cement what they are. Mm -hmm. And although it's a brilliant pilot that Susan Harris wrote, if you look at the pilot of the show... Rose is really smart compared yeah. to what she became later. And mm-hmm. Blanche is kind of ditzy. Like, oh, yeah. I'm going to marry Harry, whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they, those characters really had to kind of separate themselves and move off in different directions over the yeah. course of the next batch of episodes. And so that's kind of, now that I look back, I think, oh, you know, those first couple episodes were kind of rough. And yet, they still were different
0: enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sophia was
2: outrageous enough. It was yeah. t- The talents of these women was enough
0: that it distinguished the show right off the bat. So, yeah. One thing uh, that sticks out in my mind, you were 15 when the episode premiered, Mm -hmm. and I remember being, I was like 13 or 14, when um, I saw my so-called life, and I saw sort of a first gay character on television that I had never seen before, and it made me uncomfortable, because it was something that, I was seeing that was so in my personal space. You know, it was in my home. It was, Especially if you're watching it and your family's in the room. That yeah, gets awkward. Yeah, exactly. It was yeah. very awkward. Yeah. And, and and so I just remember feeling uncomfortable. So I can't imagine at 15, puberty's hit. You're, you know probably that you're gay at that point. On I'm some assuming level. you did. On yeah. some, well, on some level, but not all levels. So what know? was that reaction like? What was your reaction to Coco? You know, my reaction to
2: Coco was, I guess, that um first of all I wasn't watching it with my parents so like I wasn't yeah. you know embarrassed about that but he had such a small part yeah. and I couldn't figure out what he was doing there mm-hmm. and it's really because he was cut out in after the pilot was shot, he was cut out from as much as they could when yeah. they decided to kill the character. Because yeah. still
1: Getty, they realized she was so huge and she was going to be, she had to be a bigger part of the show and it would mm. just be too big of an ensemble if they, yeah. yeah.
2: Exactly. And so yeah. they went back and reshot what they could and they cut him out of whatever they could. Um, um, but there were scenes that they couldn't cut him out of because if you think of the first scene of the pilot, Dorothy comes into the kitchen and, and the is complaining.
1: Huevos Rancheros. Oh, yeah. sorry. Huevos <laughs> Rancheros. And
2: she's complaining <laughs> yeah. to Coco about kids today when she substitute teaches. And we haven't met any the other characters yet, other than you know Dorothy walks in and starts talking to Coco. So they couldn't cut him from that. Yeah. So it's interesting because I really I think when I watched it, and again maybe this is some retrospect creeping into my memory, but I think I watched it and thought, like, who is this guy? What's going on? Why you know, it's the Golden Girls and he's
0: barely there. What I couldn't figure out his real function. In the book you talk about the creation of the show and specifically a show that was Greenlit, with the idea of having a primary gay character in the sitcom, and that NBC had, what was Love, Sydney, was it? NBC
2: had had Love, Sydney in 1983, I think it was. I have to look at the exact date. But Love, Sydney had been, I think, in 1981, maybe? Around then. And it was a movie. It was a TV movie. Right. And, you know, in 1981, it was really daring to even suggest that a character was gay. Explain what Love, Sydney was. So Love, Sydney was a movie where Tony Randall played (laughs) a single older man, and he somehow gets hooked up with uh, Lorna Patterson's character. Lorna, She was the one in the movie. She had been Private Benjamin. Yeah. And she is a single mother with a young girl. And I forget the circumstance in which he kind of takes her in and really oversees and, and helps her out and helps her raise the kid. Yeah. And... In the movie, they had suggested that Sydney was gay. Mm-hmm. He had a picture of a guy on a mantle, on his mantle, and I think he talked about the guy like briefly in passing. Yeah. And it gave the suggestion that this was a boyfriend, mm-hmm. yeah. or had been a boyfriend. Yeah. And NBC, the movie did really well. NBC was, again, as I said, hurting. They were yeah. looking for anything to adapt that had any popularity behind it. Yeah. And so they had started commissioning a sitcom version of Love, Sydney, and then Interesting. Uh, th- w- people within NBC got whiff of uh, there's this gay sitcom coming, or this gay g- old gay guy is going to be in a sitcom. Yeah. And you know, as as the g- uh, former VP of casting at NBC told me, and he's gay himself, he was like, someone slipped it to the sales department with like a note saying, "Watch out for this. That you're never going to be able to sell this show. You know, we got to take yeah. this." And NBC had like this war in- internally about wow. Love, Sydney. You yeah. can't air this, and the sales department refused to try to sell it. And wow. so it died for a while. However, they eventually got desperate enough that they did air Love Sydney as a midseason replacement. And it went on, I forget, for half a season. Wow. Maybe a little more. Yeah. Um, but in the si- in the series version that they did air, there was no picture on the mantle and they had no suggestion that Sydney was So how did dead. that go from that to Susan Harris writing the pilot episode including Coco? I really I mean, I report what everybody told me from NBC yeah. in the book. Mm-hmm. I have to say, I take everything that they said with a grain of salt, because this was 1984, 1985, yeah. and I think... height of the AIDS epidemic. Right. And everybody was terrified of AIDS, and of yeah. gay people particularly. So I really thought that in 2006, when I started these interviews, with enough hindsight, they were trying to give themselves a little more credit than probably they were due. Yeah. But I did report what they said. So according to Warren Littlefield, who had been uh, you know, one of the uh, heads of NBC at the time, under Brenda Tartikoff, and Joel Thurm, this guy from Casting and whatever... Mm-hmm. Um, they say that they wanted this idea that came around... It came about from uh, a presentation that they did. The network would do presentations, all the networks do presentations to advertisers and stuff. To this day. And in, yeah, to this day, Upfronts. But this was not part of the Upfronts, but it was still a, uh, an advertiser presentation mm-hmm. where they trotted out all of their talent on stage and they had them do shtick and talk about their mm-hmm. shows. And this is when Miami, Miami Vice had also just hit for NBC, yeah. their yeah. other yeah. big pillar that they had finally found. Yeah. And so they had Selma Diamond, who was on Night Court, uh-huh. and Doris Roberts, who was on Remington Steel, yeah. come out and do Doris. shtick, where they pretended they thought Miami Vice was called Miami Nice, and that it was about old people in Florida. Yeah. And so it was all a joke, but considering those presentations are so boring, that actually got a laugh. Yeah. And it got a real laugh, and it got Brandon Tartikoff thinking, like, maybe that's not a ridiculous idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so he had that in the back of his mind, and... When they started to kind of think about what they wanted to do with it as a show, before they ever got a writer attached, before Susan Harris, that what they say is, okay, we want we don't want all four women to be the same age. So one should be older so that there's Mm -hmm. a little intergenerational. And they wanted another source of maybe conflict, but a source of difference in the house. Yeah. So they came up with a gay man, a gay house boy. Interesting. I, I... I think it's shocking that they came up with that in 1985. Yeah. 1985. That's why I take it with a grain of salt. But they do say that
0: when they, <clears throat> excuse me, then approached Susan Harris. That's interesting that Susan... They told her that. that that's interesting that Susan Harris, having come from Soap, soap. which had the first sort of gay slash trans character on television, right. Billy Crystal's character, that that wasn't Susan Harris's creation. Because you would think that that would be coming from Susan right. Harris. and you would think, oh, coming she, from soap. She,
2: forced, she used her power to force exactly. NBC to do it. But, but it was not, actually coming
0: from NBC executives.
2: That's what NBC executives tell me. They say that they, uh, they, what happened was, uh, Susan's husband, Paul Witt, who yeah. actually Witt Thomas Harris, the yeah. producers of Golden Girls ultimately, but they had been the producers of Benson and mm-hmm. Soap, whatever. So they all worked together. Paul Witt and Tony Thomas had gone in to pitch NBC with a different writer, with a different idea. Yeah. And NBC didn't like that idea and they said, but here, here we'll throw one out to you that we've been thinking about. And it was basically the Golden Girls. Wow. wow. And without that title. And that writer was like, nah, it's not me. I don't want to do it. Which, yes. I mean, my God, he's probably kicking himself to the oh, side. Yeah. He or she. I don't know if it was a man or a woman. Yeah. Um, and so as that writer left, Paul and Tony went back in and said, are you serious about that? Because that sounds like something Susan would like. Because Susan loves writing older characters. Yeah. So I don't know if they had he had specifically said the gay thing before he said that's something Susan would like, or whether Susan just... Responded to the old part of it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. But she, they gave her that idea that they say yeah. included a gay character. A wealth of knowledge you are. Oh, yeah. my goodness. You have to, I mean, 30 years
0: later, you have to really put together a lot of conflicting viewpoints. Of course. And see what yeah. you believe. Because, I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty, and there's always sort of a nice... You want to rewrite history to be right. the most flattering sure. aspect, and you don't want anyone to look bad, and you want everyone to come out win- a winner at the end especially with something as successful as And people as the remember girls. different things you know yeah. for example for the character of Coco
2: uh, two of the actors I talked to who auditioned for it remembered them saying that they were told that it was he was going to be in drag sometimes oh and that he would they should you know dress and dra- even maybe dress and drag for the audition and one of them did and it's just uh, nobody else remembers that wow. you know wow. M- NBC and Susan Harris are like we didn't ever ask for that however that may not just be that memories conflict, it yeah. may be that this actor was told by an agent who didn't who, who played a gate of telephone yeah. and heard the wrong information third hand. Right. <laughs> so, My cat's touching it. I know, I just right was like, now. what is this?" <laughs> My cat. Just expecting it. So, yeah. you know, it may have been that the agent heard from somebody who heard from somebody who got it wrong, mm-hmm. and so way back when there was a difference of opinion. Yeah. And so I found, well, even when I was doing, I did a book on Will and Grace
0: uh, 12 years ago. Yeah.
2: And even then, and that show was on the air. Fabulously un- uncensored, uncensored. right? Yeah,
0: The, the backstory villain Bill and Grace.
2: Yes, yeah. and even then, that show was still on the air, and yeah. there were people who remembered things differently. Yeah. Now I'm going back 30 years. So right. I, I found you know, that it's really interesting how people's memories conflict, and you yeah. have to kind of piece together, well, okay, he has the date wrong on that, and that doesn't make sense, but I'll bet that was this. You really have yeah. to kind of solve the mystery. Well, that yeah, gets us, like doing
1: some detective it work. It is a lot you of really are. work. Yeah. I,
2: there are dates in here that I... I had a list of mysteries yeah, that I, and I solved them all, but it was like at the last minute I got wow. the laugh, the final solutions. Like, Lucille Ball attended a taping of the Golden Girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I wanted to know which taping she was at, because I wanted to listen to the show and hear, see if you could hear her laugh. Wow. Yeah. I couldn't. I'd finally found the episode. Which episode? It is the episode um, where Blanche and Dorothy are competing for a job at the museum. Oh, yeah, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm blanking on the title. Dorothy has anyway. to plan the birthday party. Yes, mm-hmm. and it turns out party. that she's yeah. planning a surprise party for Blanche. It's yeah. very early in season two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Lucille Ball had uh, was coming back to TV with Life with Lucy with the ultimately failed a final sitcom story. Lucille Ball did Mame with uh, B. Arthur, right, directed by B. Arthur's husband, right, yeah. and she knew Betty for years and yeah. everything too, but. Uh, Lucy was coming back for her fi- what turned out to be her final sitcom yeah. in 1986, Life with Lucy, that was going to be on ABC. Mm-hmm. And she realized that in the 80s, even though she and her husband, Desi Arnaz, had invented the multi-camera sitcom, yeah. by the 80s maybe things were a little different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she knew B and she knew Betty, uh-huh. and she thought, I'm going to go check out a taping of the Golden Girls and see how they're doing it these days. Yeah. So she came to that episode taping, kind of unannounced, yeah. sat wow. in the audience, was wow. not on the floor, and just laughed her head off. Of course, yeah. And you know, the uh, everybody who was there tells me in this part, I don't think the sentence is in the book, but that uh, she was so distracting to the main audience because everybody sure. knew she was there. And, and her laugh, laugh is so distinct. And her laugh is so distinctive yeah. that everybody would look at her before they thought they had permission to laugh. <laughs> so everybody oh, in the audience, wow. every joke would go, look oh, at Lucy when she laughed. then they'd laugh that's
1: so funny you just like hear this weird delay you're like I right. feel like the audience reaction now I want to go back and listen but but I, I'm going to I don't know tonight. if that's
2: the episode that, because they did
0: two tapings of every episode yeah. oh. so that may not be the takes that they used wow. for that reason well so that gets wow. us to uh, uh, sort of my next direction of this which is um, the original book that you wrote The Q Guy to the Golden Girls How... Cute guide. Not guy. Did I say guy? Um, where's your guy I know. Uh, So how... This first book, when was it published? 2006. And how did... How did this come about? Well, I
2: had... When I first decided I wanted to start writing books about TV, because I wanted to write better books than were available about shows that I loved, uh, I first wrote a book proposal for The Golden Girls. That was the first show I wanted to do. It's my favorite show. And... I couldn't believe that no one had ever done it before. Right. Yeah. There are a lot of shows out there that are not great shows that have multiple books written about them. Yeah. And I, I couldn't believe that, again, this is in the dawn of the internet, probably around yeah. the Y2K, when I would Google or Amazon or whatever, there's no Golden Girls book. How could that be? Yeah. So I wrote a proposal... And in the meanwhile, when I picked I got hooked up with my book agent, mm-hmm. uh, she got me the writing assignment to write about Will and Grace, which I was like, Oh my god, one of my other favorite shows. Yes, yeah. of course I'll do yeah. it. So that put the Golden Girls on the Back Burner. Yeah. Then after the Will and Grace book, we went out with the Golden Girls proposal. Mm-hmm. And, and that was a success. The Will and Grace yeah, book, Grace book was that. a success. I remember looking at that. Yeah, no, I had a great time doing that too. Yeah. Um, but going out with a Golden Girls proposal was interesting. I found out some of the reasons why probably no one had ever done a Golden Girls book. Why? One of the reasons is that uh, the show is owned by Disney, and Disney had Buena just... Vista. Right. It was Buena Vista Entertainment, which is uh, part of Disney. Yeah. And so Disney owns the rights, and they're just... They haven't hadn't been as eager to really grant rights, I guess, yeah. to... Or even answer the question about rights. I had a hard time in the beginning getting through to the right person. So... Uh, I wasn't able to write a book that I always wanted to do, like Golden Girls Forever, like the one yeah. that's out now, that was with photo and materials and secret hidden stuff behind the scenes, yeah. because you need photo rights, you need to track down the photographer, you need rights yeah. from the studio, and none of that was available, so I really decided, okay, well, I really still, I, you know, I had just, in preparation for writing a big Golden Girls book, I yeah. had interviewed Betty and B and Ryu. Yeah. And started interviewing all the others, too. Yeah. And so I, I was like, well, I don't want to sit on this forever. Yeah. I really want to write a book about the Golden Girls. And I, at about the same time, I met the editors at Allison Books, which mm-hmm. no longer exists, but it was an LGBT publisher. Yeah. And they were inaugurating this new series of guidebooks, the Q Guide. Which yeah. would be without photo. They The format was without photo. Yeah. They bought one photo, actually, that they were able to get rights to. It's in the <laughs> very beginning. One random photo. It's kind of funny. Um, mm. Yeah. And uh, but it would be the the way they wanted the guidebook to be. It would be about gay elements of even about pop culture. Yeah. So mm-hmm. They were doing guides to Fire Island and to to pop to Gay Pride Parade. Yeah. They were doing guides to lots of different gay sub subject areas. Yeah. But the the yellow version of the guides, which are the ones about TV, they would be about specifically gay elements of those shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for a lot of shows, for most shows, I would say that's like one episode. Yeah. And so many sitcoms, great sitcoms we'll have one episode where uh, the lead character has a friend come to town and you yeah. find out that the friend is gay I and just he saw comes one out. I was just going to say yeah. Cheers is my favorite example. <laughs> it's a great episode. Sam has his ball player friend who comes yeah. to town, oh you find out he's gay, at the end of it Sam's like, "Oh, you're still my best friend, I'm going to love you forever." Yeah. You never hear that
0: guy again. Never. And it's like that's what most There is another do. episode where coach has finds out someone he knows no, is someone gay. in the bar is gay. Yeah, and yes. then his reaction is like of course typical like coach where he's kind of naive and just says he likes
2: to drink, like right. or
0: something ridiculous. You well, know? and they
2: all turn on each other. Yeah, and they they all accuse each other. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, most shows tackle it very few times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Golden Girls, you know, I knew even before I got the deal with Allison books. It's like my God, there are so many episodes between, yeah. you know, uh, Dorothy's lesbian friend Jean. 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 I would have
1: loved to have seen Jean come back. Here. Yeah, me too. Yeah, she was yeah. so great. I was yeah. actually reading uh, your chapter on that episode because you so perfectly break down so many episodes in this book and yeah. how. Um, uh, Lois Nettleton who played Jean, was actually worried that she was too boring because she wasn't getting any of the laughs Mm -hmm. until she realized it wasn't her job to get the laughs. No, she was was there for a reason, yeah. Like she was the straight man on the show. Like, you know, she was supposed to be the one who's, you know, sort of... The catalyst. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And that's
2: often true on sitcoms and I think that guests cast half it's a tough realization to come to as a guest Mm -hmm. actor because you think you want to go on a show and be hilarious and then they'll have you back and you'll win your Emmy and whatever Right. but a lot of times your job most of the time I would say your job is to elicit a reaction from the stars Mm -hmm. of the show you're there as the catalyst and so yeah Lois Nelton I think was worried she was like none of my lines is funny I'm not funny I'm not I'm, I'm not getting mm-hmm. laughs I'm, mm-hmm.
0: but then she realized like oh wait I'm there to elicit this emotion and elicit, yeah. elicit mm-hmm. this reaction Lynn Green talked about that um, on on the episode she did with us and also in the book too yeah. about talking about her second episode where she where Dorothy plays um, Sophia's mother in yes. a flashback episode and she's wheeling Dorothy on and it's not getting the laugh that that the writers expected and she's feeling guilty because she's like it's she's feeling responsible for not getting the laugh and then she realizes it's not that's not her job. You have to read the way she told that story in the it's, book. It's, it's really very funny. Yeah, she's Lynn. Was she did not great. mince words, and it was no. just
2: really funny because yeah. Estelle. Uh, I mean, God lover, but Estelle had a had a not only a, probably what was the beginning of a That's physical dementia. memory issue. Yeah. But she also had just panic and anxiety, and that yeah. would make everything worse, and it would feed on itself. Yeah. And so Estelle often went up, or couldn't remember lines, and so did Sid Melton, who played Sal. Yeah. He was old. He was even older. You yeah. Know, Estelle wasn't, he was the same age as the rest of the ladies. Sid Melton was quite old. Yeah. And so, between the two of them, they would go up all the time. And when they would do those flashback episodes, audiences liked them, Estelle liked them because she didn't have to wear old age makeup. Mm-hmm. She yeah. could look good. Yeah. But the producers would often dread them. Yeah. because they'd be like oh my god like we're never going to get through this and so yeah. Lynn Green talked about that episode where B was unhappy to be playing uh, Estelle's mother because yeah. now B had to be in the old age makeup and had to be in a wheelchair mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, and B was very impatient when people would not get their lines right yeah. and so here would be Estelle and Sid and they would start the scene and then it would. There was supposed to be a cue for Lynn to wheel B in. Yeah. And Estelle and Sid would just say different things every time, or oh just goodness. pause, and no one would know when Lynn and, and, and B were supposed to enter the scene. And B yeah. was already cranky. Yeah. And then Lynn talks about like on like one of their, the third take or so, she she got like had to guess at what her cue was, mm-hmm. and she wheeled B in and wheeled her right into the door, mm-hmm. and she like she was like B is my icon, and I would just hit her into the door, and B was just not having that entire day. Yeah. And was getting really cranky in front of the audience, like this is this is not going to get any better. Well.
0: There are stories like that, and so many more in this Golden Girls Forever book. And guys, listening, we Carrie and I can't stress enough how how uh, how great this book is. I mean, the pictures. How did you get access to these pictures? Because, yeah,
1: we're, we're looking through. And, I mean, guys, you should absolutely get this. It's because, all
0: color. It's just, it's a beautiful, beautiful design book. But
1: there are so many gorgeous set photos where, I know when I was a kid and I used to, like, the idea of actually seeing, like, breaking that fourth wall and seeing the lights above right. the set and seeing at the point of the walls where the set ends. Yeah. Like, I was obsessed with that when I was younger. And you have so many amazing photos of not just the sets of the house, but the swing sets, you know, like the doctor's offices and this and that and yeah. and you have like gorgeous like sketches like a, a from their blank the set photo
0: of the restaurants and, and the I mean there're just so many how what Who was what was it like acquiring
2: these? these photos those were that was a lot of detective work and I'm so glad to hear you say that mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I fought for that in terms of the perspective of I want to see sets where you see the lights and where you mm-hmm. see where the set ends and mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. you really get you, it breaks the magic of the set yeah. so yeah. you can really see how how they put it together and you know that I—I I shouldn't say I had to fight for it, but it's like that was important to me to get that in there, yeah. Because to really show how is this show was put together, and uh, you know, there's a, a, certainly a whole bunch of of shots in here that, that are the official episodic shots from episodes. So yeah. where they had a set, on set photographer, mm-hmm. and that some of that stuff you can see on the web or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, they're licensed through Getty Images. That's only a small chunk of the of the photos that are in this book because. Yes. I went to every department that worked on the show 30 years later and they all had kept their archives because they wow. knew what a great show this was. Yeah. Yeah. And so I tracked down the, the costume designer of the show who now lives in Oregon and is a, a potter. Yeah. Oh, and wow. she had all her original sketches. And wow. she sent me, you know, two dozen original sketches of um, outfits with descriptions of I, I made this in this fabric and this is what happened and I had to change it at the last yeah. minute. So there's Those stories behind the outfits. Um, I went to the set designer, who he's no longer living. He lived into his 90s and then passed away a few years ago. His daughter donated his entire archives of his career, which spanned from the beginning of television through the 2000s, and donated that to the Art Directors Guild. The Art Directors Guild let me come and sift through 37 archival boxes of snapshots. Like I went through about 10,000 snapshots of sets
0: and pulled the ones that are in here so that really give you an idea of mm-hmm. what the show was And like. as a fan of the show, like just as Carrie and I speaking from a pure, like, just love, and we're all fans, but looking at the book as a fan of the show, it's such a giddy excitement to see some of these things. Because yeah. it brings, it sort of, it, it throws back that curtain that oftentimes we watch and we've seen an episode countless times, and yet now we have context to that episode sort of like what carrie and i are trying to do with this podcast right give some sort of humorous context to why this is so great and why we respond to this episode in the way that we do and you do it as well in the book so how when you were structuring the book because you decided to give some trivia and give some sort of like where golden girls are today but then you break it down episode by episode right was it a struggle finding how you were going to lay out this sort of background of the golden girls like it was in that Two, two
2: different reasons. Publishers get nervous if you use the words episode guide. Yeah. Because they feel that if they... if Like, you know, I don't think we use the words episode guide in this book. Yeah. We just say golden episodes and then start breaking it down one by one. Yeah. Um, because the words episode guide have the connotation of something you could find on the internet. Right. Yeah. And so you publishers are wary of, of an approach that's episode by episode. But when you show them that... It's, yes, it's episode by episode, but what we're doing is we're telling the story of the evolution of the show yeah. in chronological order, and it's behind-the-scenes stories of this episode came about because this happened in real life, yeah. and this is what our writers were feeling at the
0: time, and that evolves over the course of the seven seasons. And it's just so something you could not find on the internet. I mean, no. like you no. were saying, so, like yes, the photos are available online, Some, the yeah. Producers Guild, is, there's boxes there, but you compiled... All of those things that are readily available in single form, and put them into one chapter, and, like and then added things that you can't find anywhere. Right, yeah. like, I, mean, this I literally like, dug up from people's basements. It's and amazing. These, and
1: you have amazing interviews. I mean, you talk to writers on the show. Like, how many how many people did you actually interview? Because it sort of is like about two hundred
0: fifty. Wow. Wow.
1: Yeah, it's 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 absolutely amazing. It's like you've taken you've done an oral history of the series chronologically, essentially, and you've yeah. added. You know all of the backstory of the show as well. It literally could not be a more comprehensive yeah. collection of you know what the it, history of the Golden Girls. What it reminds just, me of so when I was a
0: kid, and I, I have a feeling you and I were very similar children. Mm-hmm. Um, I would I would become obsessive about certain things, certain movies, certain things happening, certain things coming out, etc. And back then, I don't know if it's so much the case today with most things, but like maybe with the Hunger Games and things that attract kids. But for me, like Avida for example when Evita came out I was obsessed I had to like have everything Evita I had to have the albums and the books and they would release all of these things these massive glossy books that just show you everything behind the scenes everything everything a obsessive person would want right and uh, you gave that to us for the Golden Girls in that style. These gloss, this glossy book of beautiful photos. Thank you. That's what I was hoping to do. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a geeky kid's obsessive, you know, compulsion just met on every level. You know, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's there's it really, a lot to
2: digest. Yes. there's a lot of information in those pages. It's you know very much packed yeah. I used every inch I could we were there was a lot of back and forth at the end like let's squeeze this in here let's yeah. move it here okay we can get fit that photo in there
0: and you did squeeze Carrie and I in yes I, I am, know we have to
1: say thank you <laughs> so we so do. much thank you we for definitely
0: do We uh, and, and not even just Carrie but like people friends of the podcast that have been on Elliot Glazer and, and, Lenora, and Claire. Lenora Claire and, and Mike, Mike
1: Dennison. yes
0: I mean there are so many so many different well what's interesting too about the Golden Girls
2: and I, I don't know if I'll ever find this again if I do a, show, a book about another show uh, you know, obviously, it's 31 years old now, yeah, but it's still in every on the tip of the tongue
0: mm-hmm. on people mm-hmm. in
2: every, people's everyday lives, and not just as nostalgia, as people creating new art inspired by the show, yeah. yeah. And that doesn't happen with most shows, yeah. You, you, there are shows that I love, I we said cheers, yeah, I love cheers, but cheers is a nostalgia product. You yeah. don't see people putting out new cheers inspired art, yeah, and you don't see it influencing or getting name checked in movies like the Golden Girls do, like yeah. when Golden Girl Girls was in. Uh, what was the the uh, Will Forte
0: movie? Uh,
2: oh, Nebraska. Uh, yeah. Yes.
0: Yeah. 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 Well, they. They were. I mean, it's kind of hip to include Golden Girls references yeah. in new. Stuff. Well, in the new um, Ryan Reynolds movie, the Daredevil, um, a dead or, or Deadpool. Excuse me. Whoa. Sorry. Sorry. Whoa. To every geek out there. Yeah. Sorry. Gemini I don't really care. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to to he was wearing a B Arthur shirt. Yes. For I the know, that majority of us. the first first part of the film, and as a Golden Girls fan, you watch it, and you're just like, oh my God, he's wearing a B. Arthur shirt. But that's what was a challenge for this book, because I had to cut it off somewhere. Yeah. I had to turn this book in and let them print it. Yeah.
2: And so things kept happening, like, up until the last minute. Uh, The executor of Rue McClanahan's estate announced, like, the day after I turned in the book that they are planning on opening a Rue McClanahan cafe in New York. Yes, yeah, yeah, we talked about about that like, I would have totally written about that. I'm like, God, and then, you know, the, the Deadpool thing. But it's like at some point you just have to draw a line because so
0: much keeps. It'll happening. never stop. Yeah, yeah. it'll never. And you'll you'll put that up in the foreword when this book comes out in paperback. That's right. It'll, <laughs> it'll yeah. go in. When
2: it actually yeah. comes out on Kindle, I think I'm going to put some some uh, some more stuff in there too. Nice. There's some more episode information and whatever that can go in the Kindle version. So,
0: so maybe that will too. You've done so much in terms of for the research for the book and uh, you know episode looking into episodes and everything. What if you had to pick? Because you've met. Mm-hmm. All of the girls, right? I didn't meet Estelle. She was too far gone, unfortunately. Even by 2006, when I started. Yeah. Um, But what is your favorite in real life Golden Girls encounter? Like, is there a particular story that comes out for you?
2: Well, you know, each of them was each each interview with the women was hilarious (laughs) in its own way. It it actually was. There were stories in themselves, so I was so pleased like with how this worked out. At the time, it was tough. But I, I decided to start writing this book in the spring of 2006. So it's literally just over 10 years now. Yeah. And at the time, my husband was doing a game show out here in LA, uh-huh. and we were living in New York. But I, he was going to be put up at the Hollywood Roosevelt for three months mm-hmm. was, wow. I think February through April. Wow. So I was like, okay, great. That's it's a perfect nice amount of time. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> so it was, you know, I was staying in a nice place. It was very central. Yeah. I, I had three months where I could find all the people out here and do this in, these interviews. Yeah. So, of course, the first call I made was to any of the girls. It was it just happened to be Betty. Yeah. I love Betty. Yeah, And Betty's assistant was like, um, well, let's see, I think it was like February 2nd at the time. Uh-huh. Betty has <laughs> an hour at 2 p.m. on April 9th. Or like it was something like two months away. It was wow. crazy. Wow. And that was how booked she was even at age 84. Yeah. And so I set that up and then meanwhile then started trying to approach the others. Now yeah. I, I did try to approach Estelle's people and they were like, it's not going to work. She's not really not able to do it. I, yeah. So I talked to her sons and her caretaker and all these other people to kind of round out the portrait of her. Um, and Rue, I knew that I could get in New York City when I was back. So yeah. that my, I set a date with her for May. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the meanwhile, so then it was B was my big game. Yeah. So I called the Screen Actors Guild, which was back then before IMDb Pro. Yeah. Was how I would find actors, mm-hmm. yeah. and they gave out what they called a reference number, and I didn't really know what that was at the time. But mm-hmm. it turned out it was her home number. Wow. <laughs> I guess she didn't want them to refer her to an agent, or she didn't have an agent. I don't even know. Yeah. So I called and I get the voicemail like hello, leave a message
0: after <laughs> and I was like,
2: Oh my god, I'm leaving a message for B. Arthur. I was not prepared for that. Wow. So I left her a message and then I didn't hear anything back. You know I I would
0: have, have panicked been. in that moment. I did hung panic. up. Thought for five minutes and then accidentally called back from a different number just so that it wouldn't she wouldn't notice that I hung up on her <laughs> previously. I know I did panic, wow. but I left a message and
2: then you know I didn't hear back from her for like a week and I'm like, well I can't just let the time go by that I'm here. I have to keep trying. So I left her several more messages. I yeah. feel like I was phone stalking B Arthur. Oh yeah. And then I was driving one day down Santa Monica Boulevard, and you know on my ancient phone whatever model I had in 2006 it comes up B Arthur oh. and I'm like my God. So I'm driving and trying not to get in an accident, and she's telling me, like, I don't really want to talk about it. I'm, I'm just calling you back to be nice, but I don't, I don't want to talk about the show, and it wasn't a happy time for me, and I don't want to do it. Yeah. And so I just was like, what am I going to do if I don't get B. Arthur? So I just kept talking, and I don't know what gave me this insight into her, because it was something that people learned from spending some time with her. Yeah. She was the opposite of Betty. Betty is so sweet and grandmotherly on the outside and has such inner strength. Yeah. B projected that image of strength and yeah. she was so imposing that people would play rough with her thinking that that was the way to interact with her, mm-hmm. but she was so easily hurt and yeah. vulnerable. Yeah. And so she also was a mushball and she really was sentimental and the more I talked to her and just told her I really you I admire I love you, it wouldn't be yeah. the same without you. I wasn't buttering her up it was true yeah of yes. course the more I said that the more she I could feel her softening on the other end of the line like well maybe we should talk again next week yeah and so she kept doing that to me where if she'd call me and I'd tell her again how important it was well maybe we could talk next week and she kept putting me off putting me off putting Were me off. you on. just a sweat pull of every time like, I, I would have been a mess every time the one time I did something that I would say was a little bit manipulative yeah is one of the talks I said to her you know, I set up my date to talk
0: with Betty and so I thought... That's not... Numble- that's smart. Well, yeah. I thought she's <laughs> not going to want it to be just Betty. No, of course her, because know. there was that... I mean, it wasn't a loud feud but there was a little feud between they the friction, two yeah. I mean, And Betty talks about it now when she goes on talk course, shows that he yeah. would
2: sometimes get cranky with her and would... You know and B had a name for her that was a four letter word sometimes because yeah. <laughs> B had that vocabulary yeah but you know then again B as I say in the book would make sure that on breaks between the two shows at dinner break she'd find Betty and take her by the hand and they'd walk into that dinner break together in yeah. the bathroom so you know they had the, they had that relationship where there was friction yeah. and yet they knew how to mm-hmm. be professional together yeah so so anyway with B I remember that she kept putting me off. And one of the times she called me back, I was in the Beverly Hills Public Library using their internet because mm-hmm. they had f- free Wi-Fi at the time. Yeah. And I get the phone rings and it's B Arthur and I'm like I can't not answer when it's B. Yeah. And I take the call and I go over to the window. Everybody's yelling at me, get off your fucking phone! And I'm like, what I did can't. you
1: scream back like it's B Arthur? I, was like,
2: I did. I went, it's B yeah. Arthur. I'm not getting off the phone. So, yeah. so, so I'm having a full volume conversation with B, and she says. I hope I can say the F words. You can can say say any word you want. Uh, So I'm out of the the conversation with B, and everybody's glaring at me, like ready to kick me out of the library. Yeah. And she says, again, like putting me off, she says, well, I'm going this weekend to Chicago. Mm -hmm. So maybe when I get back next week, you can call me and we can talk about getting together or whatever. And so this was like Friday night. So I said to her, and I, again, was not trying to butter her up. This was really how I felt. I said to her, I so look forward to talking to you next week. And she said, I don't, and hung up. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> So I finally oh. cajoled her, probably that next talk, into setting up a time to get together. Yeah. And she... I didn't realize this at the time. Her kids were renovating her house. The house yes. just sold for... In Brentwood. In, in Pal- we, Pacific Palisades. Oh, Pacific Palisades.
1: H.L. Yes. and I, we almost, we were going to do like a GoFundMe or something for yeah. us so that we could purchase it. For and 19 yeah.
0: point whatever million or whatever. Yeah. It was. Or at yeah. the very least, like, make us look like, like foreign like millionaires, millionaires yeah. that we could actually go tour right. it. Yeah. It would be
2: better to just use it for wardrobe
0: yeah. and so that you could
2: look like your Eurotrash that wants yeah. to buy it. Yeah. We could do that. I speak German. Great. I <laughs> okay.
1: yeah. I know the lyrics to 99 Red Balloons in Yes, yeah, so that would be so. great.
2: great. It would be just like 99 loof Balloons." Yeah, mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. totally fool them. Yeah. So, I, well, I didn't get to see that house because they were reno- her kids were renovating that house. Yeah. Uh, B was a big cook and they really renovated her kitchen beautifully. Oh, yeah. I love that
1: she was a She big was cook. A, yeah,
2: she loved yeah. to cook and she mm-hmm. hosted people in her kitchen. It sounds like she was really a great hostess.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, so I was great in a great lady. A, yeah, she was. Yeah. So, I was in a rental house that and I so I I show up at this rental house. Yeah. And for the, and it's just me and B, and no one else there. And for the first hour, first of all, she was
0: always barefoot in her real life. Yes. And her feet were not always in the best shape. There's a great uh, video of that interview, one of her last, I guess, her last interview with Graham Norton, but um, an episode of That's So Graham Norton or something, mm-hmm. where it's it's from years ago, but it's she comes out, she Graham Norton is the British talk show host, and they he makes like the celebrities walk down the steps to the audience or whatever, and she's doing that, and she's just barefoot, yeah. and it's 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 gross but lovely. She drove people crazy
2: <laughs> being barefoot, yeah, and there were stories. There there was a story on the set of the Golden Girls that I actually I couldn't find what episode it went into, and um, so I didn't put it in the book, but. They, uh, the old stage they were on before they moved to Renmar, they were at Sunset. Or, no, actually, when, it was when they moved to Renmar and it was at a stage they had, that had been abandoned forever and they reclaimed yeah. it. Um, it was flooded with termites. Oh. And there was oh, an episode where they were rehearsing and just bugs were falling out of the rafters on them as they were rehearsing. Ugh. And it was getting so distracting that Betty actually made little paper hats for all four of them out of newspaper. Oh, my and God. And they were wearing like newspaper hats that were getting bugs collecting in them.
1: Oh, my goodness. And... Bean oh. was
2: barefoot and when a bug would fall she'd just go and stomp it <laughs> out with her foot I and keep I love it the, the and then all the rest mean. of the people were like gagging like oh my god she just stomped out a termite <laughs> with her barefoot
1: but the way that you, it looked like she was crushing a yeah. cigarette So yes, the way to oh, that's they
2: actually so had to shut down production for a week and tent the stage and whatever of course because they, they, it was, how could they put bad. those four women in a bug infested because they with Thomas Harris was becoming this dynasty and yeah, they lots of sound stages for nurses empty nests golden yeah. girls and so Renmar was this old studio where Desi Lou had been and yeah, Isle of yeah. Lucy had been, but it, it, it had been used for storage and Get so, empty so nests, they found. The, well, I the think termites the termites. We don't yeah. know that nest didn't have the termites too, and yeah. then the whole place had been oh, really abandoned. Goodness. Yeah. And so they built this empire at Renmar after having been at Sunset Gower. But anyway, sense. so B was always barefoot.
1: Yes, if yeah. she shows up.
2: And so I show up at her house. She's barefoot for the first hour. She has her feet up, bare feet up on the coffee table, and she's giving me like monosyllabic answers to everything. Like, yes, no, yes. And I'm like, thinking, sitting thinking to myself, oh my God, I'm not getting anything I can use. What am I yeah. going to do? She eventually opened up more. Yeah. She did say that um, it was an unhappy time in her life. And why is that? Because a few years earlier, her husband had left her. Yes. Her mother died in the first season of The Golden Girls. Yes. There was some friction with Betty
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, and just launching a new show. Yeah. And she wasn't, in general, a happy woman as her resting pulse. Yeah. I,
0: she just had a dark side I mean yeah. and, and as I say she was lovely well, she was and warm and she Jew. ended up I mean she yeah. she had that sort of very typical I mean both her and Estelle I mean it, they, they were very much identified as Jewish and they they, they had that sort of like naysayer uh, uh, curb your enthusiasm type reaction to I think many things they weren't the most optimistic people No, Estelle wasn't optimistic either which yeah. is funny because she
2: was again so lovable and lovely yeah. but she had that you know that dark sense of humor in some ways Yeah, so did be. So I, I really, you know, I finally did get through to B. she also said if I, we were talking Maude, she'd remember more because Maude yeah. was a different animal and she, yeah. it was yeah. her show particularly. And, yeah. So, but I did get good stuff out of her eventually. Yeah. But it was funny because, you know, I must've shown up at her house probably about one or two o'clock and at quarter to four, you know, I was going to keep her all day. It's like, this took forever to schedule and I'm not, I'm not going to let You're her go, go. go. Yeah. At quarter to four, I see she's getting antsy. Yeah. And you can hear on the tape where I, you can still hear it, where she goes under her breath, Judge Judy's on in, four, in fifteen minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and I ignored it. I was like, I, cause she adored Judge Judy. It was like they were friends in real life. Wow. Judge Judy was everything B wanted to be. She was no nonsense. Yeah. No bullshit. Oh yeah. You know? Judge so Judy. B loved yeah. Her. Yeah. So B watched her every day. And so I'm thinking to myself, I am not going to leave this woman's house so she can watch Judge Judy. It took forever to get here. Yeah. So I just blew past it. And then you can hear B at, like, 10 after 4 say, I guess I can miss Judge Judy for one day.
0: <laughs>
1: oh, my gosh. So You need amazing. to publish. That. I know.
0: At some point, you need to... The, the true story of... You really should... Or edit it down so that it doesn't, you know, isn't invasive. But, like, at the same point, that that's, that's stuff... People sit there. There are these things that Emmy, I think, or the Academy of Television Arts and Sciences published like, these long interviews with sort of iconic TV... Icons and all the girls have done. I do. I did Rue's. That was that was was you. Okay. When I said I arranged to do Rue and May. That was it. Was doing it on camera. I mean, people obsessively watch that stuff. You need to publish these recordings. I know. Also,
1: what I love is that she was, you know, very much like, well, maybe I could talk to you next week and and whatever. But she was still calling you and coming back to you. Yes. So that's it's very is that very telling. Yeah. Again, it's like I felt like I was breaking through
2: the ice, but I felt like I was breaking through the ice little by little, and she was even though there was part of her that didn't want to talk about it, there was part of her that was giving and did want to help me out. Yeah. Did want to talk about it. Yeah. And so, you know, I don't know how I'm not normally, I guess that perceptive, but I don't know how I knew to keep at her. Yeah. Because you know, in a way it was, this poor, I was stalking an old woman. I mean, it, yeah. it was not nice of me to do that in a way. But it was like, I felt that she was giving mm-hmm. me like a little bit of a little bit of rope every time. Yeah. Yeah. Especially
1: with like one of your idols, like one of your icons, you don't want to be that pestering no, person. No, So right. if they say no, you just go, okay, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to whatever. Especially
2: with Like, you know, she yeah. could have complained about me, I guess, from yeah. when I called her that many yeah. times. Yeah.
1: did you get, when you met her, did you get a handshake or, or anything? Uh, so this is what <laughs> happened this. is after this the... what I'm curious to know, is like, when you greet, if you give somebody a handshake, but then they hug you and you leave, like, well, the way someone greets you and, and, and then when you, it
2: So we go through, we go, we go through the Judge Judy time or whatever. Yeah. I'm packing up my computer and two things had happened. Coincidentally for me, which it was a great boon for this book, Paley Fest, which out here in LA, the, Mm -hmm. the Paley Center for Media does a festival every March where they do panels, you know, maybe a dozen panels. Mostly of current uh, series where they have the stars on stage answering questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in the in the old days, they haven't done it as much anymore. They used to do at least one classic show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that year was Golden Girls. I was so lucky. Yeah. So I was here, living here, and they happened to do a Golden Girls panel. Yeah. And so, you know, it was supposed to be B and Betty in room. Yeah. And uh, one of the things when B was putting me off by phone all that time, she said, if you're coming to that Paley Fest thing, come back, come back to the green room and meet me in person, and then we'll mm-hmm. talk. Well, I went to the green room, and she wasn't there. Yeah. And... Betty and Rue were there, and Betty was going around saying to anybody who would listen, Bee is so sick. Her yeah. doctor told her, don't you dare get out of bed. And I thought to myself, I think Betty's full of shit. Yeah. Because Betty is that, you know, she's Little Miss Sunshine. She puts a nice face on everything. She yeah. doesn't want anybody to feel bad. Yeah. And so I was thinking, I don't believe that B's sick. I think Betty's covering for her. Yeah. And so as I'm at Bee's house, you know, two weeks later, packing
0: yeah. up after the interview. Which is so, it says a lot about Betty White. I mean Betty White and her had the friction over the years but But Betty wanted to be the bigger person. She covers covers for her. She wants to be the bigger person.
2: Mm -hmm. She wanted to project the image that fans want to see which is that we love each other. Which is what we want to see. It is what we want to see. So I'm packing up at B's house and I had the idea I'm going to test her. Yeah. So I look over like out of the corner of my eye and I said by the way I'm so sorry uh, that I missed you at the Paley Fest, that you were sick that night. Yeah. And she had this really guilty look on her face. And I thought, oh, well, that kind of answers what I needed to know there. But one of the conditions of finally getting to come over and interviewing her was that I agreed that I would sit after the interview and have a drink with her. Oh.
0: And, and this was her condition? Her condition. That's a uh, weird condition you'll to be stay like, for a drink. Sure, I will do that. I yes, will, yes, yes. absolutely. I'd be very happy. I don't the even ol- drink and I would do that. The only <laughs> problem is,
2: it is now like after five o'clock, I yeah. have to get this uh, rental car, she's in Brentwood, mm-hmm. it turned out at a street, at a house a few di- uh, uh, houses down from Betty and neither of yeah. them knew it because this was a rental house and neither of them knew that they were oh, living wow. like, a few doors down yeah. for a few months. Um. And I had to get this rental car back to West Hollywood by 6 to her. Yeah. And it's like 5.15. And she's like, okay, now we're going to drink. Yeah. So I'm packing up and she's in the kitchen and I hear, Yoo-hoo! And I'm not really paying attention to that. And then I realize, oh, wait, we're alone in the house. She just forgot my name. That's for me. I'm yoo oh. <laughs> So I go in the kitchen <laughs> and she had had a, a, like a guy who helped her out with shopping yeah, like yeah. a couple times a week. So she said, the guy who buys my groceries knows I love this uh, wine.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, well, first she opened a cabinet and was like, What do you want? It was like all hard liquor. And I'm like, White wine. Because I have to like drive this car back to white, yeah. wine. white wine. Let's pick the white wine. So she goes, The guy who lives with me was knows I love this wine. Yeah. It's like her real life cocoa. Yeah. yeah. Uh, knows that I love this wine. Here, let's have this. And so she hands me the bottle and I start uh, like walking to the counter to find a corkscrew. She goes, No, that's not it. Here, get take this one. And it's a, another bottle of the exact same wine. Yeah. No, that's not it. Take this one. Another bottle of the exact same wine. Wow. So I'm like, Okay, I'll open this one. Yeah. So I'm rummaging through her kitchen drawers looking for a corkscrew. And then I have, like, this moment where I have to stand back and go, okay, surreal moment. I'm rummaging through B. Arthur's yeah. drawers looking for a corkscrew. Yeah. Just need to take that into account. Yeah. See this picture mentally from space. Yeah. Um, and when she says, when I notice it's screw top line. Yeah. So <laughs> I open this bottle of wine and she produces the two biggest balloon goblets I've ever seen. And the bottle of wine fits into the two goblets. Oh wow. But it's so full that I can't even move the, the, the glass, I have to slurp it off the counter before I can move it. Yeah. And so we sit, and now we're sitting in the same pot spot in the living room where we did the interview. Yeah. With our feet up on the coffee table, making small talk. But I've already about, talked to her about really? Golden Girls for three hours, so now it's like I don't remember what we talked about. I was about gonna for say, did
1: talk. she ask you about yourself? No, it was or... a little
2: awkward. Because she was a little bit of an awkward person. Yeah. yeah. We had already exhausted Golden Girls. Yeah. Um so we made small talk and we finished the bottle of wine. At yeah. this point, you know, I'm not much of a drinker, so I was a little bit loopy and I was like, yeah. I have to get this car back to oh, fuck <laughs> the car. I You're know with I would have Be like I'm
1: I'm just gonna accept the fact that i bought this car. I, like, yeah. just- I well, would
2: have gladly bought a B Arthur. Car. It was winding down anyway, so I was like, I wasn't gonna stay all night with B. But yeah. um I go to walk out the door, and this was the most telling moment. Yeah. I hadn't done this with anybody else. Yeah. And I had already interviewed uh, I'm trying to think of how to, yes, I had already finally sat with Betty at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I hadn't sat with Rue, but I had sat with a lot of writers. Yeah. I was going out the door and I said to her, you know what? Can I give you a hug? And she was like a little taken aback. Like she was very stiff. Yeah. And then when I hugged her, she kind of melted.
0: Aww. And I
2: was like, oh my God, she really appreciated that. Yeah. And as I went to the front door, I was out the door and she was standing there and she did a perfect like Bea Arthur take. She said, and by the way, one other thing I want to tell you. I wasn't sick that night either. <laughs> and then, like sniffed like B would do and slammed the door. Oh,
1: that's amazing. I love it. That, that is, that is probably the greatest story that anybody has ever told on this podcast. I agree. It was, so agree. It was yes. like
2: everything you wanted B to be. Wow. She was like ballsy and yet soft and uh, loving and yet you know bitchy in some ways. Jim, Jim you had me
0: everything you wanted her to be. So and, many then, things. and then
1: you went home and then you legally changed your name to Yoohoo, Yoohoo Paloochia yes, exactly. yeah. the
0: <laughs> Yoo-hoo. next day. Don't <laughs> go by Yoohoo. Jim by Yoohoo Calucci.
1: I, I actually thought that you were going to say when she was calling out from the other room, like when she said stay for a drink, I thought you were going to say she came out with a couple of yoo-hoos. Like, that's what no, she meant. And no, I was like, oh, wow. that, that also was be like
0: crazy. Your, be liked her liquor. Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah.
1: What a great wow, story. Wow, Jim.
0: So... Before we close out with our final question which oh we Oh my go, god that story we, took up all of the podcast. Oh right. no it's great. There's so we could go on forever but we want people to actually buy the book. Um yes. so we don't want to give them too much. That's right. Uh, and that story's not in the book. So. <laughs> oh, but but what a great story. Um before we get to the final question which we ask all of our guests I want, we want to ask you what is your favorite episode. If you had to choose one, what would your
2: favorite episode be? People always ask me that. And depending upon the most recent one I've seen or the most recent one I've read about in my own book, it changes. Yeah. I mean, off the top of my head, I loved when Dorothy's brother Phil died because it was so funny and yet so moving. Yeah. And it really catches me every time I watch it. Like, wow, they really made that last beat work. Yeah. Where Sophia's really mourning him. Yeah. And you don't get that in a sitcom a lot. Mm -hmm. No. I loved any of the gay episodes, so Gene or or, uh, Blanche's brother. Yeah. Yeah. you know some of the silly ones I always loved uh, the Henny Penny one yeah. now that I watch it I like it less every time I watch it mm-hmm. I think some of the magic wears off on that one mm-hmm. as I yeah. watch it after a while just, I, I don't know. I think it's I'm the so same same hard way. to pick a favorite. I
0: have the same, I mean, when people always ask us, like, who who's your favorite, which golden girl are you, are who's your favorite golden girl, what's your favorite episode? I often, I often, for the favorite episode, just say the AIDS episode, just because I think it's the most interesting it of all the, the episodes. It is interesting, and it was a really tough one to do. But that's just a default, because I can't choose one. I yeah. really can't, nor am I, Elliot likes to sometimes say that, like, I am I like the earlier episodes and he likes the older episodes, but I, I that's not even it, it. I, I like them all so much that I don't it's hard for me to separate. It's just collectively amazing, yeah. all of it. And um, I go back and forth on that thing about
2: the earlier versus later, too, because yeah. the show had two different regimes running the show. Yeah. From seasons one to four, there was one set of showrunners, executive yeah. producers, and then five to seven was a different set. Yeah. And the sensibility of the show, you can notice the change. Oh, it's yeah. much jokier and more surreal in five yeah. to seven. Yeah. And shows tend to do that. Yeah. Over time, shows need to... I, one of the writers, in the, in the quotes in the book, told me this, and it was a perfect way to, to encapsulate it it's like when you write particularly jokes for mm-hmm. characters it's like a drug and, and after a while it takes more and more of the drug to get the same reaction from the audience mm-hmm. yeah. so whereas something that would have seemed outrageous in season one or two by season seven we need, we needed to be even crazier Yeah. and so I think that the tendency for a lot of sitcoms is to go bigger broader more surreal yeah. in the later years well, but the characters are so strong we already know them so well and, and a lot of shows, when you look back, you know, in during the heat of the battle, I tend to love a show to the very end, even mm-hmm. if it's past its prime. Same. Any show. And then when I look back, I say, oh, I see it. kind of jumped the shark there. It mm-hmm. was really better in the beginning. I don't necessarily say that about the Golden Girls because I love both eras. I yeah. love the earlier stuff because mm-hmm. it was more character-based yeah. Yeah. and it was very emotional. But some of the later stuff was also emotional and really funny. In so, a way,
0: too, it kind of set... It kind of followed the pattern of the girls aging, too, in a way. I mean, it allowed them to, as sort of you went from the Reagan administration to the Bush administration and society became more aware of sort of gay people and became more liberal and more progressive and things were changing societally, the girls became a little looser and laid back and and things were getting sillier. And it really ushered in sort of a 90s sensibility that, uh, I mean, in a really nice way, I think. Yeah. Um, So our last question, the question we ask every single one of our guests, is a golden takeaway. Now usually it applies from an episode that we watch, a golden takeaway that they can apply to their lives or the lives of our listeners, sort of like a nugget of inspiration or something. But since you are such a special guest, and since you created the Golden Girls Bible, essentially, which all of you should go out immediately and get to Amazon and order it, like now, um, it, it comes out April April fifth. It's April Amazon, 5th. Barnes and New Noble, pre Get it everywhere, guys. Get it everywhere. It will be huge. Um, but a golden that was Fraser walking by everyone. Oh, um, <laughs> I love it. His name's Fraser. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what is your golden takeaway if you had to choose one about the Golden Girls? What has the Golden Girls taught you about you, really? In a, in a way, like what what? How has it changed you? Well.
2: It went back in the day I always would say even in high school when the show was on I would say I want to live in a Golden Girls type of life where okay. not only are all your you live with all your best friends all your problems are solved in 22 minutes yeah. but you could be a real smart ass and say really insulting things to people and yeah. they'd just find it funny and you wouldn't get punched in the face. Yeah. So that was kind of always how it flavored me as a younger person. Yeah. I mean now that I look back I mean I think one of the magic things about the show too is that because these were four older characters mm-hmm. and four women and women were marginalized and still are yeah. um, they could get away with things that other shows couldn't and so they tackled subject areas that I think the world needed to hear about and wasn't on television Mm -hmm. and so that's why they had one of the earliest episodes there were to address AIDS they would talk about suicide assisted suicide all the things that homelessness um but also that you know in a funny way in a funny way but you know they got a message out there that was important and that the tv was too chicken to tackle yeah and particularly as somebody who then was coming out You know, there's a message where, and it's Mark Cherry talks about how he wrote this line as like a one-line thing that encapsulated what they wanted to say. Yeah. Where Sophia says to Blanche about her brother, he just wants someone to grow old with. Don't we all deserve that? Yeah. And it's like, oh, my God, talk about dignity, the
0: dignity that we're all looking for. And she just said it in one sentence. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's gorgeous. Well, that's a delightful takeaway, Jim. And, guys, you can go to... Anywhere, just Google it, Golden Girls Forever, and order this book immediately. It is a great gift for yourself and for anyone else that you know loves the Golden Girls. And Jim, where can people find you on the interwebs to follow other things that you're doing? Uh, Well,
2: there's my website, jimcolucci.com, and they can find me on Facebook and Twitter. It's all just Jim
0: C-O-L-U-C-C-I. Wonderful. And I am H. Allen Scott, as you all know, and I'm H. Allen Scott on everything. Uh,
1: And I'm Carrie Doherty. I'm squid on Twitter and Squidzy on Instagram.
0: And you guys can go to outonthelanai.com for more awesome things, Golden Girls, and also go to our Facebook and new Twitter uh, uh, account as well. We, we, we put off doing Twitter for a long time. So it's Golden Girls Pod, is the Twitter handle. And on Facebook, we are facebook.com slash Golden Podcast. You can follow us on Tumblr. There's all kinds of places you can follow us.
1: Yes. And um, as always, guys. Stay, stay golden. golden. That was the weakest stay golden that we've was ever weak. done. I wasn't sure because I also wanted to say thank you to Jim for say being thank here. You, but say I was thank like, you. Jim, thank you so much thank for you being for here. Me. Um yeah, on behalf of Golden Girls fans everywhere, thank you so so much for putting this together. This is a very, very special book, and I think it's gonna be a wonderful collection to all Golden Girls fans across yeah. the world. I mean, you are a super fan. You are the biggest super fan, I, I think, am a that crazy, we've ever yeah. met. <laughs> you just, and, and, and take the award. Yes, and so thank you for putting 10 years of your life into this book, The Work Shows. Uh, I'm just so excited to, to go home and, and, so and, for and finish reading it. Yeah, So
0: So at that, guys, stay, stay golden. golden. That felt better. That felt better. That yeah. was a
2: good one. That was a good one. <laughs>